We're going to continue our study through the book of Matthew this morning, beginning in Matthew 1.18. So if you want to turn there, Matthew 1.18, we're focusing on Joseph's journey all the way through Matthew 2, verse 23. In this passage, we will see that we have a vision problem. Our vision problem is that we often don't see what God is doing. Today's passage will also provide us with the solution to our vision problem. For God's word enables us to see, to see things how they really are. So as you turn to Matthew 1.18, I want to tell you a story about my little sister, uh, Caitlin. And if she ever is watching this online, I'm sorry uh, again. Uh, but when we were kids, uh, she had a vision problem. Uh, she couldn't really see things far away. And so when she got her new glasses, the whole world opened up for her. She could see things more clearly. It was really amazing to see that. Well, one day we were swimming, and she didn't have her glasses on. We were swimming. She took, put them on to the side of the pool. And when we got out, um, she looked across the pool, looked over to the field, and she said, Hey, Josh. Whose dog is that over there? You see that dog over there? And I looked across the field and I said, Caitlin, and again, I'm sorry, Caitlin, for what I'm about to say. <laughs> I said, Caitlin, that's, that's not a dog. That's a deer. I said, what, are you blind? I'm like, oh, as soon as I, left, as soon as I said that, what, are you blind? Because we just recently found out that she really was, had a vision problem. And I felt so bad. I just, for, I just forgot for a split second that she really couldn't see. And many of us today also forget that we have a vision problem. We often take off the glasses. We put them on the table when we go swimming. When we go to do something fun, we take off the glasses. Or a lot of times, we take our glasses, put them on the bookshelf where they collect dust. We often take off our glasses during hard times. Maybe when we cry, we take off our glasses. Now, the glasses I'm talking about is God's Word. Now, God's Word enables us to see how the world really is and how God acts and how we should act. So many times in our passage today, we will see many things that from our perspective, from man's perspective, how could there be any good come out of it? We, we can't be blinded by the immediate reason. We must see God's ultimate reason. Joseph didn't know the, the, he didn't know the ultimate plan. All he saw was the plans from day to day. But he trusted in God's ultimate plan. There is the immediate circumstances and the ultimate circumstance. There is what we see up close, and there's what God sees far away. Where the immediate circumstance seems to be one way, from God's perspective, things are more than they seem. We have a vision problem, but God's word enables us to see how things really are. So today, starting in Matthew 1.18, going through the chapter, chapter 2, we're going to see things from both Joseph's perspective and God's perspective. 
From Joseph's perspective, we will see pain, hardship, a lack of information. But from God's perspective, we will see how Joseph is righteous. He's compassionate. He's trusting, obedient in the midst of hardships. And also from God's perspective, we will see how he has given us signs of Old Testament prophecy to show us that Jesus is really the promised Messiah, that God himself came to save us from our sins. So as we follow and focus on the narrative of Joseph today, we will discuss in greater detail the story of the Magi and the Old Testament context for the prophecies next week. Before today, let's see what God's Word has for us, starting in Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So notice the righteous actions of Joseph's obedience. God tells him what to do, and he does it. Now the next section, Matthew 2, 1 through 12, is the story of the foreigners from the east, the Magi. They came to worship the king of the Jews. I mentioned in my last sermon about how the Magi point to how God is including all nations to worship him, and how we should imitate the Magi in worshiping King Jesus. I'll come back to the Magi in more detail next week. But for today, I want us to focus on Joseph. Joseph appears again in verse 13 of chapter 2, Matthew 2, 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Again, Joseph obeys. But the question is, why would God allow this to happen? Well, just like the virgin birth, this flight to Egypt was to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, Matthew 2.15. And remain there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time they had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Here we see Herod's act of murder, and the same question arises, why? Why would God allow this to happen? It, was, it too fulfilled Old Testament scripture. But this is not a picture of obedience by Joseph, but of disobedience by Herod. 
And then we see Joseph receives another dream in verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. We see Joseph obey in verse 21. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. So Joseph obeyed. But look, in verse 22, the danger is not yet over. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Joseph was afraid, but he didn't disobey. He was afraid, but pressed on. But the threat of Archelaus was legitimate. So God warns him, and Joseph went to the district of Galilee in Israel. It is only when he was warned in a dream did he change his plans. And this quote-unquote change of plans did not really change the plans of God. For look what happens in verse 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So even though the plans seem to be changing, God's ultimate plan stays the same. Jesus was meant to live and grow up in Nazareth to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. So the first thing we see from God's perspective in this passage is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Look back in chapter 1, verse 20. We see Joseph's immediate circumstance. All he can see where it seems his fiancée cheated on him, and she's pregnant from another man. That's what it seems like. That's what all he can see from a human perspective. But this isn't what is really the matter. This is not the case. Because the reality of the situation made known to Joseph from God's perspective is that the baby, Matthew 1.20, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this virgin birth was a fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture, Isaiah 7.14. The immediate and the ultimate perspective, the narrow vision and the wide-angle lens. Then again, chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. The immediate circumstance, all Joseph could see, was that the angel of the Lord told him, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So all that Joseph could see, the immediate, the narrow perspective, but the ultimate plan from God's perspective is that the flight to Egypt fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Verse 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then again in chapter 2, verse 20, God tells Joseph to go back to Israel. But from Joseph's perspective, he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod. He was afraid. And this reminded me, remember when the spies in uh, Joshua in the Old Testament, the spies went to look at the promised land, and they were afraid. They saw the giants, and they didn't trust in the Lord. But even though Joseph was afraid, he wasn't like the spies in Joshua. He, he looked, and he was afraid, but he went. He still obeyed. And the threat was legitimate. But God warned him to go to Nazareth. God protected him. So why go to Nazareth? Nothing good was about nothing. Nothing good came out of Nazareth, as we see in John one forty six. Nathaniel says, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" 
He didn't think anything good could come from there. We probably have, you have cities like that in your head, like, oh, you're from Louisiana. Can anything good come from Louisiana, you know? Yeah. Uh, but look, from God's perspective, Joseph ends up in Nazareth. Why? Verse 23, he went and lived in Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. And he would be called a Nazarene. So time and time again, God is working to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. And just because Joseph can't see it in the moment doesn't mean God isn't working. He's working things out in the background. And here, in God's Word, we get a glimpse of what God is doing. Through His Word, we get to see God's perspective of all the reasons and plans to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Now, this is a special and unique fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies for the coming and life of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And that is the main point Matthew is telling us here. Over and over again, Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. So for us today, don't miss this. Don't miss the signs. Come to Jesus as the promised Messiah, the Savior. The next thing we see from God's perspective is how we should live. By learning from Joseph. Specifically, following the example of Joseph's trust and obedience in the Lord. Look back at Matthew 1.19. Matthew 1.19. Joseph is seen to be as an example to follow because Matthew points out that he is righteous. He is righteous. It says, and her husband Joseph being a just man. He is a righteous man. And what makes him righteous? Here he's unwilling to put her to shame, but he resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph is described as just, righteous, doing the right thing. Because even though he thought Mary cheated on him, for what other explanation could there be, again, from man's perspective? He did not want to publicly shame her. Even with his limited perspective, he wanted to break off the engagement quietly. And I do need to explain, back then, it says they were engaged, so why did they need to be divorced? Back then, engagement was a lot more serious than it is today. So if you were engaged, you actually had to get a certificate of divorce to break off the engagement. So even though he thought Mary did him wrong, he did not want to publicly shame her. And he was called righteous for this action. So we can learn from Joseph here that even if someone sins against us, if we think someone, even if we think someone sins against us, cheats us, does us wrong in some way, we should not seek to publicly shame them, but seek to have compassion. Now, this doesn't mean we don't hold the other person accountable for their actions, but our goal, our heart's intentions, should not be to publicly shame them. Thus, to be righteous is more than obedience or mere obedience to the law, or following the rules of the government. Righteousness is marked by compassion. Doing what is right is being gentle, kind to others. As one commentary says, Joseph did not want to expose Mary as an adulteress, yet neither would he marry one so obviously, from man's perspective, guilty of sin. He therefore chooses the one other option open to him, formal divorce proceedings in relative privacy. So again, being kind and compassionate 
does not mean we sweep sin under the rug. But in our pursuit of justice and holding the other person accountable, we should also have a heart of compassion. The second thing we can learn from Joseph is that he considers his options. Another thing is it's in verse 20. For Joseph did not immediately act on his assumptions, but it says that he considered these things in verse 20. He pondered on them. He thought through before he immediately acted. There's something there for us to learn from this righteous man. For we often are quick to judge, quick to act. And sometimes the situation calls for a quick action and a quick judgment. Maybe we don't have time to sleep on it. But there are many times where we could say, let me think about this. Let me step back. Let me pray. Let me talk to somebody. Let me seek wise counsel. So when you run up against a difficult situation, slow down. Think, pray, seek advice so that you can make a wise decision. And lastly, we see Joseph as an imitator of trust and obedience. And Joseph really followed Isaiah 50.10. This really exemplifies who Joseph is here. Isaiah 50.10, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the, the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Even in the darkness, we trust God. Just like Joseph, sometimes all we can see is what is right in front of our eyes, our immediate circumstance. Something happens, whether that be from someone else's sin against us, or even our own sin. We may sin, and that brings us into a bad circumstance. But all we can see sometimes is what is right in front of us. What we learn from Joseph is that God is working in the background. And just like Joseph, we may never know why. You may never know all the details. And honestly, you're probably never going to know all the details. But we know what God wants and what He desires. And we know who God is. He is good. He is in control. And He wants us to look beyond our circumstances. He wants us to look up to Him. He's with us. He is for us. He's not against us. And after we look up to God, we can also look to our right, look, look to our left. We have fellow believers. We have people in the church here for us. So get involved with a church where people can encourage you to look past the circumstances and trust in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying the pain will go away. I'm not saying we will understand why. God is not calling us to understand every reason why. He is calling us to trust and obey. And what are we to obey? Joseph obeyed God's word. And we have God's word here in the scriptures. What is it for you? What are you wrestling with today? Struggling to obey because of your circumstances. You may be like Job's friends. Remember Job in the Old Testament? He had everything taken away from him. And you know what his friends said to him? His so-called friends? They said, Job, because of all these things happened to you, you should just curse God and die. Job's friends missed God in the circumstance. So don't curse God because you don't understand. Trust God in the darkness. 
Trust God when you don't understand. He is good. He is holy. And this is not a blind faith. This is a faith that rests on the firm foundation of Jesus coming to earth, dying for us, and being raised again. And he will raise us again to new life. And until he comes back, we are called to trust and obey. So don't be trapped in the human perspective, but trust in God and his ultimate perspective, even when you can't see it. And finally, we get to a difficult passage, Matthew 2, 16. God's word is our glasses in the midst of sin. He gives us a lens to look through, but it's difficult. Life is difficult, and the Bible doesn't push that to the side. Matthew 2, 16, we see how this, this, this passage isn't about Joseph or about his immediate circumstance, but it's about Herod. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in that region who were two years old and under. So notice, we have been talking about immediate and ultimate circumstances. God, he has been initiating. He, God, the Holy Spirit, brought about the miraculous conception of Jesus. God sent Joseph and his family to Egypt. God warned Joseph not to go to Judea. God is ultimately bringing all things to Old Testament prophecy fulfillment. Now in 2.16, it is not God who is the initiator. He, God is not the actor here, but man. A man, King Herod, for his own sinful desires and out of his fury, initiates this horrendous act of murder. And I can't even begin to imagine the pain of the parents, the family members, that community. Why? Why, God? Why would you let this happen? And we've talked today, we've talked in past sermons about how God is good. He is gracious. He is powerful. He is sovereign throughout the Old Testament to bring about the birth of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So where is God in this circumstance? From God's perspective, God was not caught off guard by this event. He was not caught off guard. He was not surprised. But look at Matthew 2.17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is prophesied in the Old Testament. Much like the other circumstances, Jesus' virgin birth was to fulfill Old Testament scripture. Their flight to Egypt was to fulfill Old Testament. And so it is with Herod's evil actions. While the other circumstances were difficult, the thought that your fiancé cheated on you or you were under the threat of destruction, you have to flee your homeland, they ended positively. Mary did not cheat, but she was carrying the Messiah in her womb. They fled to safety and eventually came back to Israel. But the threat of destruction was real. We saw the actions of Herod. And it is miraculous that Jesus was saved from this destruction. So Jesus, the one who came to save sinners like Herod, needed to be saved from a sinner's fury. So this circumstance of murder is different because real harm 
and lasting pain was done to these families. And in this circumstance, it's different because it was a result of Herod's sin, which leads us to our second answer to the question, where is God in this circumstance? We saw that God was not caught off guard, but this was prophesied in the Old Testament. And look back at 2.16. Another important point that is connected to this, while God is in control, humans make real decisions and are responsible for their decisions. And many of the decisions we make are sinful and disobedient. Herod's actions were evil, and God will give him eternal justice for his unrepentant sin. So why do bad things happen? It is ultimately rooted in sin. In the case of 2.16, in the case of Herod, it is a result of Herod's sin. It was no fault of the parents. Other times in Matthew, we will see effects of sin generally in the world. Not the result of any specific sin or person, but creation as a whole. And our bodies are broken. And we will die a physical death because of Adam's sin in Genesis. But here's the good news. Jesus came to save us from the effects of this sin too. He came to save us from our sins and its effects. And it is not that we won't die a physical death or we won't ever get sick. But just like Jesus, we won't stay dead. For he will raise us up and give us new bodies, no longer broken. And he will make new heaven and a new earth that is no longer broken by sin. Now, how do we put all this together? This teaching that God is in control while humans make real decisions is hard to wrap your head around. For example, uh, there's other examples where God's ways are higher than ours, our ways. It's difficult to fully grasp the idea of the Trinity, for example. How is God, there is one God in three persons, all equally God, Father, Spirit, and Son? It's hard to wrap your head around, right? The same is with Jesus. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man? Or how can we fully understand why God chooses to love sinners? Why would God do that? Why would he send his son to die in our place? We can understand a lot about God and who he is and what he does, but we can't exhaustively know everything. We can't fully know. And as I said it before, the good news is that God is not calling us to know everything. He's calling us to trust in Him. God is not calling us to know everything. He's calling us to trust in Him. God didn't explain everything to Joseph. Look back in verse 20, chapter 1. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He didn't explain how that was possible. Joseph trusted and took Mary as his wife. He told Joseph to flee to Egypt. He told him why. It was because Herod was seeking to destroy him. But God didn't tell him about what Egypt was like. He didn't know if he would have a job. He didn't know anybody there. But Joseph trusted. He obeyed. He went to Egypt. And until Jesus comes back, he calls us to trust in him. Not lean on our own understanding, but bow the knee to his kingship. Be forgiven of our sins and live in imitation of him, following him in obedience to God. God is good, 
even though we have a vision problem. God gives us the solution. We just have to remember to put the glasses on. His glasses are the word, his word. And God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God's word provides us truth and comfort for today. As it provided over 20 years ago, on October 27, 1999, one of our deacons, Joe Seal, taught on the same passage. Just got his, his notes this week. So 20 years ago, Joe taught on this passage. And from that lesson, he provided these encouraging and powerful words. He writes, when bad things come, number one, stand fast and cast your cares on Jesus. Number two, stand fast, cast your cares on Jesus. And number three, stand fast and cast your cares on Jesus.